in 2 Peter chapter 2, and we've already started this to some degree, and uh, he's speaking about false teachers, speaking about false teachers, and, and um, let's, we can start reading from verse 1, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. For by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic masters, majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. Okay, so he is speaking about false teachers. Peter has nothing nothing good to say about false teachers. In fact, what he ends up saying sounds really quite unchristian to our sensitive woke ears, but not to God. It sounds totally appropriate to God because this is what he does and this is what he plans for false teachers. And so you see in verse 4, it says, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell. Remember, we talked about that last time. That is Tartarus, a, 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 a permanent place of confinement, and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. So look at these, this, these words. Verse 4, for if God did not spare, he did not spare. So some people I've shared with them, and they'll say, well, I don't believe God would send anybody to hell. Well, that's fine that you don't believe that, but why don't you try believing what the Bible says? He, do, he doesn't spare them. And in a way, yes, they send themselves to hell because they've rejected him, but it's very clear they cannot get themselves there. He doesn't spare. When they are false teachers, he does not spare. So in, in, in verse 4, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, verse 5, 
and he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others who, uh, seven others, he brought of, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So, again, verse 5, he did not spare. I mean, again, it is very clear that God does this. There is a judgment. There is a judgment coming. And that may war against our sense, little sensitivities. But remember, we didn't write this book. God did. Long after we are dead and gone, and there is no remembrance of us anymore, and even our gravestones are knocked over. There's, there's, there's nothing left. It's just gone. This book will remain. God says... He says it doesn't spare, and he does not spare. There is a judgment to come. Verse 5, and he did not spare the ancient world. So verse 4 was angels. Verse 5, it was the ancient world. The entire world, except for Noah, Noah's wife, Noah's three sons, and Noah's three daughter-in-laws, eight people in all. That is it. That is it. He killed everybody else by flood. And, and uh, uh, again, do I believe in the flood as a scientist? Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe whatever is written in this book. Now, sometimes my interpretations of things might be wrong, but Jesus underscored this as well. So it's not just what we have there in the book of Genesis. Jesus spoke of Noah. There's authentication again in, in, in this book, in First Peter. In Daniel, there's this speaking about Noah. So this is underscored over and over again. This is true. He didn't spare them. And he, he, the, the earth was flooded, and uh, uh, he, he, uh, he wiped out every living person on this planet. Well, you know, some people will say it was not a, a worldwide flood. It was more of a local flood. For our purposes right now, he killed all people, everybody on earth was killed except Noah and his family. And it was a pre he was a preacher of righteousness. It says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. We don't get this from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it doesn't say that Noah was a preacher. Uh, it says that Noah was a righteous man. Multiple times it says it speaks of his righteousness, but it doesn't say that he was a preacher. This is actually in Jewish tradition that he was a preacher. So some Jewish traditions are really right on, but we don't know if it's accurate until it's now been underscored in the New Testament. When Peter tells us this, now we know that indeed Noah was a preacher. He wasn't just a righteous man. He was a preacher. He was preaching righteousness. So Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And, and uh, um, so he was a preacher of righteousness and that he was preserved along with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So God brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. God brought the flood. This wasn't just a natural, you know, oh, look what happened. No, God brought the flood upon the world that killed the ungodly. There is a penalty for walking in an ungodly manner. There is a penalty for walking in an ungodly manner. And what we see in this portion is that God delivers to judgment, and God delivers from judgment. He does both. He delivered these angels to judgment. He delivered the ungodly world to judgment. He delivered Noah and his family from judgment. And here is another indication that when a man is righteous, 
it brings his whole family along with him. When a man walks righteously, when, when Noah walked righteously, because of Noah's righteousness, it never says that his family also was righteous. We presume that they were because God, God repopulated the earth through them. But what we know is that Noah was righteous, and because of him and his righteousness, it saved his wife, it saved his three sons, and it saved his three daughter-in-laws, the daughters-in-law. It saved those three as well. It brought his whole family along with him. When you walk uprightly, it brings your family, it brings your loved ones along with you. And just like uh, we're told in the New Testament, when, one, when there's one believer among the mother, the husband and the wife, if one of them is a believer, it sanctifies the other. Doesn't mean that they are going to be saved, but they are going to be set apart. They are each going to have to accept the Lord themselves but it sanctifies the home. There's a blessing that comes upon a home, even if one parent believes. There's a blessing that comes upon the home. They are sanctified. They are set apart, just even because of one believer. And that's what God does. So he looks at the family unit. This is not a human construct. The family unit is not a human construct. It's something that God has ordained. God has, from the time of Adam and Eve, let a man cleave to his his wife. The family is something that has been ordained by God, and that's why we are to value it. And I know what's happening in our generation is that people are viewing the family as, well, who really needs that? You know, it really doesn't matter. No, it is really necessary. If our society is going to survive, it is necessary to have the family. And, and uh, uh, we see that Noah, because of his righteousness, his family was saved. He was a righteous man. If you look in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, it says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And, and we can start, we can even start reading uh, uh, in Genesis, in Genesis, reading from Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man, of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth. And he was grieved, and the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals, to creeping things, and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It was Noah. It was Noah who found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah did. And God saw Noah's righteousness. God saw that and, and, uh, and testified of it. Uh, Noah was a righteous man. He was a righteous man in his generation. God sees righteousness and he rewards it. Last night, I spoke to a young man who got his PhD from Rice, not in chemistry, but in another field. And he called me. He wanted to get together with me by phone. He lives in California. He wanted to get answers to something. And, and so he called me and he said he, he's teaching in a university in California. He doesn't like living in California. The taxes are very high. He wants to come back to Texas. His family, his parents live in Texas. Uh, he wanted to get out of California, so he applied to a job in another state, not in Texas, but in another state. They gave him an offer. He accepted the offer in that other state, 
and, and uh, um, the paperwork's all approved and everything, and now he's calling me whether he should accept the offer and go, or should he stay in California until something in Texas opens up. And I said, this is a very easy decision. If it were me, I would go to that other state because you signed an agreement to accept that offer. It's done. When you agreed, even before a signature, you just agreed to it. The Bible says you swear to your own hurt. The righteous man swears to his own hurt. You made an agreement. You go. The board has approved that offer. You go. He says, well, you know, my parents are really in Texas. I said, well, you applied to that place. It'll get you out of the state of California. You won't have that high taxes. He says, well, if I stay in California, if I stay just a few more years, I'll, I'll get a, a five-year thing. I'll get a, a retirement of $1,000 a month for the rest of my life once I retire from the rest of my retired month. I said, well, you should have thought about that before you agreed to this. You should have thought about that. You swear to your own hurt. He says, well, you know, I talked to a pastor in my church, and he said to me that I should do what I think is right. I said, okay, well, let's look at what the Bible says. The Bible says every man does what is right in his own eyes. Why don't you do what the Bible says that you swear to your own hurt? I said, look, you've already made your decision. Why are you calling me? If you wanted to hear somebody tell you what you wanted to hear, you had your pastor, go listen to him. But if you want to do what the Bible says, the Bible says you swear to your own hurt, you go. And this is exactly what we're talking about here. If, and I told him, I said, if you walk uprightly, God will bless you. Then he says, well, you know, um, you know I'm not white, and, and if I move to that state... You know, I'm not sure how they would receive me. It's not. I said, look, I, I have a brown wife. I am a Jew. I have a brown wife. 35 years ago, we moved into the deep south in the University of South Carolina, and I wasn't worried at all how people would look, us, look at us, a mixed-race marriage, my wife being brown. Everybody was very nice to us, and if they weren't, I never noticed it. But if you want to walk around with a chip on your shoulder, but really what you're doing is you're trying to make excuses, you sign the agreement and you go. I'm done. I'm done with this call. And I said, I will pray for you, but I'm done. And this is, and I told him, if you walk uprightly, God will bless you. God will bless us if we walk uprightly. If we don't, we are not blessed. We fall out of favor with God. This is real stuff. What he is presenting to us is real things. When you accept a job offer, when I accept a job offer, it means something. It's not like after everything's approved, I accept this now and, well, I don't really want to go. It's too bad. We swear to our own hurt. I said, you go there, you serve for at least three years because it costs them some money to hire you. And maybe you get an offer from Texas or you might really like it over there. You might find a wife over there. And uh, uh, God may have things in store for you over there. And uh, I have no idea if he's going to listen to the word of God. I have no idea. But I see this sort of thing all the time. People want 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 to ask me for advice, and I can only tell you what the Bible says. Like Micaiah said, you know, what the Lord tells me is all I can say. And, and the Bible is very clear on this. And then it, it says, so he preserved Noah. And then in verse 6, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Now, before that, let me, let me just say that Noah was not perfect. Noah was not a perfect man. That's never, that, that's never, uh, 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 been an indication. So in, in, in Genesis chapter seven, verse one, it says, then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. So only Noah was righteous. There's no indication that his wife was righteous. There was no indication that his three sons were righteous. It was Noah because of Noah. It saved his whole family. When you and I walk uprightly, it will bless not just us, it will bring favor upon our families. You want the best for your children? Walk uprightly. You want the best for your children? Walk in honesty. You cheat on your taxes? It's going gonna, it's gonna to come back on you. It'll come back on your children. It'll be much more severe than the little bit of money you saved by, by, by cheating on your taxes. We walk uprightly before the Lord, and there is great blessing. There is great blessing when we walk with the Lord. But again, Noah was, was not perfect. You know, there, there was an instance in, in, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 20, it says, Genesis chapter 9, verse 20, Then Noah began farming and planting a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. So Noah started planting. They started bringing in the, 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 this planting so they weren't just wandering. They planted and he planted a vineyard. He drank and he got drunk and he took off all his clothes in his tent. Now he wasn't like on the rice campus running around rice campus naked like what kids do on, on Friday the 13th. They, they have this tradition of, of uh, uh, running around campus. Let me tell you something. There's, there's, there's things you do on the campus that if you do any other place, you will go to jail for this. So uh, I'm not sure if it's the best habit to get in. But Noah was in his own tent. He was in his own tent. While he's in his own tent, so is he perfect? He's obviously not perfect. That's not what righteousness means. And thank, thank God that, that, that he doesn't demand perfection of us to call us righteous. And it says that, that uh, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his, his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father with their faces turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done. So he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. And he also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. So it's interesting that Noah didn't curse Canaan, who did this, Noah cursed Canaan's son, Ham. You know? So he, he skipped over his own son in the curse and, and blessed his son's son. But, but uh, uh, there is a blessing in walking in righteousness because, because his son talked about this rather than dealing with it. And the other two sons very discre discreetly covered the sin of their father. This is a great blessing. It talks about in the book of Psalms how, how there, it is blessed to cover the sins of another, not to focus on the sins of another. So, so uh, like if, if I were to say, 
I'll tell you what can cause trouble in my marriage. If I were to say to Shireen, remember what you did seven years ago? Or if she says to me, remember what you did back? That should have been over, done with. When you start bringing up other things, and here they wanted no, they didn't want any shame to come to their father. So they went in and they covered him, discreetly covering him. When we try to protect another and protect them from shame, this is another act of righteousness. And this was blessing upon those sons. Blessing was upon their, the, the, those two sons that had done this. Great blessing came upon them. And so you see this, this walking in righteousness. And then in, in, in 2 Peter verse 6, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, and if he condemns, so God actually condemns, he does it. It's not like, you know, these people are bad and they just somehow fall over the cliff into hell. No, God did this. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, he condemned them. He condemned two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, to destruction, and he reduced them to ashes as an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. You want to walk ungodly? Look at the examples that he has set before us. He is giving us examples of ungodliness and what it leads to. He says this is an example for us. If we want to live ungodly, there, this is pain that is going to come upon our lives. He destroyed, totally destroyed two cities. Well, what was so ungodly about them? It says in verse 7, And if you rescued righteous lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, their ungodliness was sensual conduct of unprincipled men. It was sexual in nature. It was sexual in nature. Yes, God has the authority to deal with sexual sins. He has the authority to deal with sexual sins. God has that authority, and he does. And he does. This is what it says. God has the authority to deal with sexual sins, and he does. And he says the men were unprincipled. They were unprincipled in their and there's the, with sexual conduct. In verse 8, For by what he saw, meaning Lot, by what Lot saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. He focuses again. He says, unless you missed it, it is these men who were indulging the flesh in corrupt desires. Indulging the flesh in corrupt desires. God dealt with that sin, and he used it as an example for us. It says in verse, in verse 6, it is an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. It is an example. And people, and it says those who would in, indulge the flesh in corrupt desires and despise authority. 
Who are you to say what somebody else should do? It's not me. I'm not saying what somebody should do or not do. I'm just reading the Bible. You got a problem with it? Tear the page out. Just tear it out. It's between you and God. It's between you and God. Just cross it out. Get a, get a, get a Sharpie and just cross that out if you don't like it. See if it goes away. See if that, that, that makes the judgment go away. See if that makes the destructiveness to a life go away. If you just cross it out. We must understand that these are the fundamentals of the universe. Remember, as a scientist, I chase after the universe to try to explain it. God's word defines the universe. When he says something, the universe comes into conformity into God's word. The universe comes into conformity to God's word. That's what it does. It com comes into conformity to God's word. Because God has said this, it has to happen. It cannot help from happening. It's not like, well, some people get away with it. That's utterly impossible. That is impossible. When God has said it, nobody, nobody will get away with this. Nobody. And this is what he says. And so let's look, let's, let's take a look at this and, and see this, this, uh, uh, this, this occasion. Um, uh, Genesis chapter 19. We look, look at Genesis chapter 19. Reading from verse 1. Now two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. So many people rag on Lot. Let me tell you, three times it speaks of his righteousness in the New Testament. Twice it said that Lot was righteous, and once it said he had a righteous soul. So three times Lot is proclaimed as righteous. How many times have you been proclaimed as righteous in the New Testament? I'm just wondering. Like zero? Zero for me too? So Lot must have been a pretty righteous guy. Three times it said he was righteous. And so people will say he was unrighteous because he moved into Sodom. Well, he, he pitched his tent out front of Sodom and eventually he moved in. But remember, God does not condemn us for living in quote-unquote, unrighteous cities, or there would be no cities for us to live in. All right? We'd have to set up some Christian community, and those get unrighteous pretty quickly, too. All right? So, so uh, uh, there's no condemnation for living in a city where you're surrounded by unrighteous people. That happens. Sometimes you have an unrighteous roommate. And, uh, and I've seen that many times where students come to me, what do I do? My roommate is sleeping with this other person in our room. I mean, it's just so disturbing to me. And I understand how it's disturbing. So we have to, you know, talk with the, the, the folks on campus to try to get, get some sort of situation resolved in this. Because it's, it's really upsetting to the other person. And, uh, uh, but God doesn't condemn that person for living in that room. I mean, that is their room. And so, so, um, uh, um, it says, when Lot saw them, he arose to meet them, and he bowed down with his face to the ground. So he sees two angels. He recognizes them. They're, they, they are appearing as men, but he recognizes something spiritual about them, such that he bows down all the way with his face to the ground. Lot had a sensitive eye to that which was righteous and good. And he said, Behold now, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet, then you may rise early and go on your way. 
They said, however, no, but we shall spend the night in the square. Yet he urged them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread for them, and they ate. You see the hospitality here? He urged them. It wasn't like, we'll sleep in the square. Okay, you want to sleep in the square? No, he urged them. He urged them to come in, the hospitality. My son came home on Friday with 12 friends from college, 12 friends. And they're, they'd been in our home staying with us. And there were eight other friends that, that joined them for, for meals yesterday. And Shireen was ecstatic. She loves it. She loves the home and she got everything set up for them. She got, you know, you know uh, uh, the, these, these air mattresses. I mean, in my day, if you got a sleeping bag, you were good to go. Now, everybody's got an air mattress, plus they're sleeping in all the beds and air mattresses. And she's got all these snacks in the kitchen for them so that even after they've eaten and after hours, they can just come, home, come down and snacks and bluebell ice cream and all sorts of stuff. I said to her, I said, how come you're so good to everybody and not me? I mean, <laughs> you never do like that for me. But she's just so gracious in this way. And, and uh, um, this, is, this is what, this is an act of righteousness to see these people and to, and, and to act in this righteous way. This is what she does. And uh, I see these cancer patients come and they, they, they stay up in a little apartment above our garage. She never leaves them without food. She has constant food, all sorts of food there for them. Food for the morning, fruit and cereals and, and all sorts of chocolate and, and things. And then she's always leaving meals for them on the steps there. And she's always texting them, what, what would you like for dinner? She does this. This is an act of righteousness. This is what righteousness does. And Shireen even had her friends, like, like, like Shashi there, helping, trying to get set up for these people coming in. This is an act of righteousness. So he feeds them. He says he gave them a feast, and they ate. This is an act of righteousness. Verse 4, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, and the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. So here the men in the city had seen that there were two foreign men that went into Lot's home. They want to drag them out and have and, and rape male-on-male -male rape of these men. Talk about nastiness in this city. This is, this is uh, 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 they want to rape these men. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him. And I understand this. You don't want your guests to hear such wickedness. So he went out, he shut the door behind him, and he says, please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters who had not who have not had relations with man, please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like, only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. So I have thought about this all week. I've thought about this. And I don't have any answers to this. But so Lot goes out. Now Lot was very well known among them. Remember, it was, they had already been taken away in battle. They had been taken away and taken captivity. All of Sodom and all of Gomorrah taken into captivity. And it was because of Lot's uncle Abraham who sought them out, delivered them from captivity, and allowed them to come back into the land. Lot was well known. 
If Lot had not been among them, all of these people would have been in captivity. They'd been, been slaves or dead. Lot was a very well-known person among them at this time. He goes out, he says, don't act wickedly. And then he offers to them his two virgin daughters so that they wouldn't touch these men, as if male-on-male -male rape is worse than male-on-female rape, and why a man would offer up his daughters, I have no answer for that. It doesn't sound good to me at all. And something is going to happen to him, is what his daughters are going to do to them, do to him shortly after this. You see, this may have had a, a, a real jarring effect on them. And uh, um, why would the New Testament call Lot righteous? Why would, he, why would the New Testament call him righteous when he is suggesting something like this? This is what I have scratched my head over, not just all week, but like forever since I first read this many years ago, but all the more because I have to sit here and explain it to you. I don't know. But what I do know is that righteousness does not mean perfection. It means that God looks at the heart. It's a very different sort of righteousness than what, than what we look at. So it's, it's, it's a different sort of thing. So, uh, um, so, for example, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his outward appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God does something in looking at the heart. God says of, of, uh, of David and of his kingdom, he's speaking of David's kingdom, God speaks through a prophet in 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 8, he says, I tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, but you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commands and followed me with all his heart, doing only what was right in my eyes. So he says, God speaks of David, he's only done what was right in my eyes. Well, David raped a woman named Bathsheba, he had her husband killed, other people killed along with him. And so that was certainly a wicked act. David paid a price for it, but God speaks of him and says of him, he has only did what was right in my eyes. And you're like, uh, what about those things that David did? It's interesting that God covers a multitude of sin. It's amazing how he looks at righteousness. There's a pattern of a man's life. David was repentant. He paid a price for this, and he was deeply repentant of this. Um, this, is the, this is the only answer I can give you, because, because it, it, it's, so, it's so odd of a behavior, so odd of a behavior here, of, of, uh, of Lot, and, and what, what all went on here. And then if you scroll on down or, or, or uh, read on down, look, look in, in verse 30. So Lot is delivered from this, 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 this fire. But we'll read a little bit more up top so that you, you get the context of this. So that uh, go, go, to, go, go to Genesis chapter 19, um, 19 verse 9. Genesis chapter 19 verse 9. But they said, stand aside. Furthermore, they said, the one, this one came in as an alien and already, already he's acting as a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against 
Lot and came near to break the door, but the men reached out their hand and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door and struck the men who were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. So the angels strike the men who are around the door, pressing on it. They bring Lot back in. The two men said to Lot, whom else have you here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So these angels say, because of your righteousness, we're going to save you. We're going to save your wife. We're going to save your two daughters, and we're going to save your sons-in-law. So those daughters were of, of near marrying age. They were already engaged. And he, he said, we're going, to, we're going to save them too. You see, when a man is righteous, it brings blessing upon his whole household. And uh, we are, because of time, we're going to have to pick it up there next time. But, but uh, this is a really interesting story, and maybe it'll, it'll give me another week to think about <laughs> how does all this work? How does all this work out? But it's interesting that God does not demand perfection to proclaim righteousness over a person. And walking in righteousness bring, brings blessing upon a family. Walking in, in ungodliness brings cursing upon a family. And I urge you to walk righteously. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God. Father, I thank you for every word in this book is true. And through these things, we can learn patterns of what is good. Father, I thank you because you warn us not to walk unrighteously, not to walk in sensual desires which destroy lives. You've given us that example. Father, I thank you because you deal with sin. That is your domain. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Blessed be your name. Thank you, Lord God. I pray for these young people that you give them a heart for you, that the blessing and the peace of God would be upon them. Give them a heart for you, O oh Lord. And Father, I pray that you would save souls, that you would convict us of our sin. And because of that, people would cry out to you to be saved. Father, I ask you that even over lunch today, that somebody would get saved in the name of Jesus. Amen.